We are continuing our path through these Psalms of Ascent uh, in the, the book of the, the Psalms in the, the Old Testament. And we're coming up to the end. Next week will be the last uh, Psalm of Ascent, Psalm 134. So we're on Psalm 133 this week. Remember, these are, are psalms that were uh, used by the people of God uh, as they, they journeyed uh, from the various places that they, they dwelled in the land, as they would journey to Jerusalem for these times of, of feast, celebrations, and worship in the presence of, of their God. And so as they, they journeyed, anticipating coming into the presence of their God and meeting with him, uh, they would sing these. And these songs were, were given to the people of God to shape their identity, to shape their hearts, to shape their desires as they followed their God. And we've seen that these apply to us as well, because we too are journeying, longing to meet with our God as he establishes his kingdom here forever, fully, when Christ returns. And so these psalms as well inform us, who have been grafted into the people of God uh, through the finished work of Christ, uh, that we can sing and be shaped and informed by these psalms as well. Uh, and so here we'll see this week that Psalm 133 uh, the, the focus of this psalm that David has written and that God would have for his people is for us to be a, a people that dwell in unity and that we journey and travel in unity as we move towards our God. So if you would, please look with me in Psalm 133. Uh, if you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, that's on page 519. Uh, it's only three verses, uh, so we're going to look at at all three today. Uh, so if you would, please follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. A song of ascents of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there, Yahweh has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let's pray. Father, you know there are so many other things uh, drawing our attention and our hearts away from your purposes and your intentions for us. Uh, we pray this morning that you would use your word continue to, to accomplish what you intend by these, these psalms. Shape us, change us, conform us more and more to the image of Jesus, our Savior, your Son. Amen. So notice what, how David begins, the, the focus of this psalm. It, it tells us there in verse 1, how, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity, or when brothers dwell together. David is saying here that, that when, when the people of God are, are dwelling together in unity, it's a good thing. It's, it's a pleasant thing. That's true. That we need to understand what kind of unity David is talking about. What does he mean that it's good and pleasant when God's people dwell in unity? Because uh, we can think of, of examples in Scripture that talk about great experiences of unity that are very far from being good and pleasant. Think about Genesis chapter 6, right before the, uh, the flood occurs. Listen to this great account from Moses of the unity that was on the earth at that 
time. Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Great unity. They're dwelling together. Good? Pleasant? No. Think about the, the people of God as they were, had been delivered out of Egypt. They're dwelling and living in the wilderness as they're journeying to the promised land. And what consumes their thoughts and their attitudes is a unified mistrust of God. Failing to believe that He can deliver them uh, and bring them into uh, the promised land. Conquer and defeat the Canaanites. They think it's better if unified together we go back to Egypt and abandon this God who has delivered and redeemed us. Or uh, to, to think about the time in between, and we'll look at this when we get into 1 Samuel, but the time uh, when, uh, when David is anointed as king, but Saul still reigns, and then later once Saul dies, there's disunity among the people. Some of them are unified and wanting a, an heir from Saul's line to, to reach the throne, and others are, are united together around what the Lord has said of David, that he will rule. Or to think about the, what is articulated and communicated to us in Acts, as, as Peter talks about the unity of many of the people of God when Jesus is in Jerusalem and he's hanging on the cross. Why is he hanging on the cross? Because God's people conspired together to reject him as their king. Good? Pleasant? No. There's the, the, the unity that David is, is talking about and he's pointing us here is, uh, is summarized in the, the, the Shema, this great uh, prayer that, that God's people would pray. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That is the kind of unity that David is pointing us to, that we are unified Submitting to and trusting in our covenant God under and following along in the way that he has revealed himself to his people. This is important for us to understand because sometimes people misunderstand this. When we first uh, moved here to plant the church, uh, the, the Bible study that, was, uh, that, that had been formed, we would go around and visit different churches here in Elizabeth City. One of the reasons that we wanted to do that is because we wanted to see how we were unified with the other churches here. We aren't God's blessing to Elizabeth City. He's been at work here long before we, we arrived here. And so we want to be able to see that and celebrate that. Sometimes we saw that. Sometimes we didn't. One church we went to. Uh, after, at the end of the service, they had the Lord's Supper, much like we do here every week. What they announced and said is that Jesus has come to bring unity, and he brings a message of unity. And this table is a table of unity. And anyone is invited to the table, regardless of your faith, regardless of what you're believing in, because Jesus is extending a message of unity. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. You will worship this one God as he has revealed himself. That is the message that Jesus brought as he reveals to us the Father 
and that we are only unified as we hope and trust in the provision that God has given to us as people under Jesus, the one who has come. That was error. It was wrong. This is not the unity we've been called to. Not unity for unity's sake. Remember what we've seen in First and Second Peter in this great call to address and, and, and make sure we are, are seeing and following uh, wise or, or sound teaching and doctrine that is consistent with the way that God has revealed himself in the scriptures. Or what we saw last week in Psalm 132. Of what is it that God's people are to long for? We're to long to be in the presence of our God. How in the world can we dwell together? That's what David's talking about in this psalm. When brothers dwell in unity, dwell together. It's in the presence of our God. How in the world can sinful people dwell in the presence of their God? It's not just by generic faith. It's not by your works of righteousness. It's by trusting in the one and only provision that God has given for his people to deal with their sin. Jesus, the perfect lamb who came and suffered to deliver his people from their sins. And to realize also what we saw in that psalm, that we're to submit to and be under the lordship and kingship of God's one king, the heir of David. Again, Christ, our prophet, our priest, and our king. The only way that we can dwell in unity, the only way that is good and pleasant for God's people to dwell in unity in this way is one that where we are draw, we've been drawn together and we together are pursuing Jesus as he is revealed to us in the scriptures, as we are seeking to conform our hearts and our lives to God's revealed will for us in his word. Why be unified? Why would David be saying that it's so good for God's people to dwell in unity like this? In God's presence, through his provision, under his king. Notice how David continues to go on. He illustrates it with this, uh, this language in verse 2. It is like, so this, this unity that, these, that the people of God have, it is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. In the winter, I grow out a beard. I've purchased beard oil. It smells good. Sometimes I put on too much. It drips and runs down my beard. It gets all over the sink. What's David talking about? Oily beards. Well, you see, what, he, what he's pointing to is into the, the Old Testament. When Aaron, Aaron the priest, was being anointed as the high priest, and this oil that was poured on Aaron's head was setting him apart for a unique purpose among the people of God. One who was to... To represent the people before God and to mediate God's knowledge of God to the people, the goodness and provision and grace of God to the people, to instruct and teach them, to guide them in how to deal with their sin so that they would know and be able to fellowship and delight in their God. 
You see this oil that is running down Aaron's head and running through his beard and onto the collar of his robes is that anointing oil that sets him apart for this unique and special purpose that God has called him to. You see, it's as David is talking about this, he, he's saying it's the unity of God's people as we're living in this way, in his presence, submitting and trusting and relying on him as he's revealed to us in the scriptures, that's like this oil that sets Aaron apart among the people. How is this anointing process of this one high priest related to the whole rest of the people of God? Well, listen. Listen to what God says, how he's talking about his people as a whole in Exodus chapter 19. Uh, as he's, this is after he's delivered them out of, uh, of Egypt. Listen to what he says. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. You see, among the people of Israel, Aaron was the high priest and there were priests that served under him. But from God's perspective, the reason that he was redeeming and saving Israel, saving the Old Testament church, was so that they would be a kingdom of priests. You see, they have much to learn from Aaron because they, as they look and understand Aaron's role among the people, they begin to understand their role among the nations. Think about it. What is Aaron doing? He's mediating and demonstrating what it looks like to righteously trust and hope and follow in God. He's showing and pointing out to the people not just their sin, but their great need for God's provision. He points them to the provision that God provides. He instructs them with the, 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 the true knowledge of God. And he lives a righteous way so they know what it looks like to live a holy and set-apart life as they seek to follow their God. That is who the people of God are, to be among the nations. Think about it. As you dwell in unity, hoping and trusting in the one God, dwelling, relying on his provision, his one provision for you and your sin, as you rest and depend upon him and live a life that glorifies the one true God has redeemed and saved us, that is what sets us apart to the nations. That is the way that the world will know about the goodness and have knowledge of the one living and true God. Listen to how it, how it, how it plays out in Deuteronomy 4 as God instructs his, uh, his people. Uh, See, I have taught you statutes and rules that Yahweh your God commanded you, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to possess. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people's who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as Yahweh our God is to us, whenever we call upon him? And what nation is there that has statutes and rules 
so righteous as this law that is set before you today. You see, as the people of God in the Old Testament walked with and trusted and lived in unity, the nations would take notice. They would see, wow, these people have been set apart. There's something different about them. And they would want to know, who is their God? Was that just true for the Old Testament church? No. God has always had one people and one purpose. Remember, God is saving us from something, our sin, our rebellion, our idolatry. He saved us to something. What? He saved us to a relationship with him. And he saved us for something, to live as those who are participating in this great mission of rescue and restoration. Remember what we heard in 1 Peter, speaking to Gentiles. You are a royal uh, priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? So that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is our calling. That is our privilege. That is why we must live unified as a people of God and why when we do, it's good and it's pleasant. This is why Jesus prayed this for us in John 17. Listen to what he says. I do not ask for these only. He's just finished praying for the 12. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us, if you're believing in Jesus. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that you have sent me. How is the world going to know that the Father has sent the Son? How is the world going to know who the only one living and true God is and the only way to be saved and renewed through him? It's as God's people live in unity. It's as we dwell seeking and hoping and trusting in Christ. Seems like Jesus is just praying for us the content of what we're seeing David articulate in this psalm. You see, not only are we to pray it for ourselves, but our great king and our high priest has prayed and is praying this for us, his people. And if this is true, then should not this be our longing and our desire too? That as we journey and we long to meet with our God, that we are dwelling in unity, not just mere outward unity, just coming and gathering here together on Sunday morning. That's great. We should do that. What about your heart? Are we unified in our belief in Jesus, the one true God? Just attending church does not make you a part of the people of God. It's only as you're resting and hoping in Christ as your provision. If you are trusting in Christ, this unity shouldn't just be outward. But as you're here this morning, is there anyone that you have division with? That there's unaddressed, unforgiven sin? That you're holding this against them? Or do you know that someone has something against you and you've failed and you've yet to repent and confess of it? Does not the fact that the Son of God would die to redeem and save us and your brothers and sisters in Christ 
motivate and encourage us and say it is necessary for the sake of the nations that the glory and the gospel would go forth that I pursue my brother and sister in confession and repentance and strive and work hard to forgive. What does that mean? It means that this pursuit of unity that Jesus is praying for us, that David is calling us to sing, is going to be hard. It is hard and difficult work. And you, this is why bare unity, regardless of your faith, makes no sense. Because you cannot pursue this type of unity unless you recognize and know your need for Jesus and you recognize what he has done for you. We must pursue that as, our, as a church. We must recognize that. Uh, but, but think about, about the other things that, that could disrupt the unity that's here. We can need to continue to pursue uh, sound and right teaching and doctrine to make sure that we're believing right and proper things. That we make sure that as a church we're unified under the gospel and the good news of Christ. But also, what else is going on in our hearts and our minds that could lead to disunity in our congregation? Do you view and see yourself as having uh, more unity with your political party than the people who the blood of the eternal king shed to redeem and save and bring you into his family? Are you willing to, to hold on to those allegiances in such a way that you isolate and move yourself away from the people in our congregation because of that? Or are you willing to have the hard and difficult conversations and talking about working through those differences in a way that honors Jesus? Or do you leave your church? Or do you shun those who don't have the same political affiliations or views of you in the world? Jesus says, no, I'm calling you to unity. I'm calling you to strive under the blood that I've shed for you to pursue this so that the nations will know. What about in your marriages or in your household? Husbands, wives, kids. Do you know that, that the anger that you have towards your parents or your spouse or towards your sibling, that Jesus has been praying for you to let that go? to forgive it, to pursue and care for and love them because he loves them. Remember, there's a, a, a purpose and a reason. Why this unity? Because it says the church is unified, that the nations will be blessed with the good news of the gospel as it goes forth. But we see here that David tells us we're to be unified we're to be unified because it will bless the nations. But also we see that we should be unified because in this unity, the church will be blessed. Look in verse 3 as he gives this next little bit of imagery. It is this dwelling in unity, this dwelling together. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there Yahweh has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Hermon was the, the highest mountain in that region, and it was known because of its altitude uh, that there was a, a, always a lot of clouds and, and snow and all sorts of stuff on the top of it. And, and so dew would, uh, would condense up there. And, and, and if you think about the, what else is going on in the region, it's, it's an arid place. 
And so here the picture is, is that when God's people are dwelling in unity, it's this dew that comes down from Hermon that, that, that brings moisture and provision to the land that God's people are dwelling in. God is providing for them in the land that he's called them to. And it's as we are dwelling together that we see this is reflected back in God's calling his people into to covenant relationship with him. He promises and tells them, look, there are blessings, blessings that come from following and trusting in me. Do you want to make a wreck of your life? Do you want to make a wreck of the, of the mission and the work that I'm trying to do among you in the world? Then disobey me. But if you want to experience what it really means to be fully restored as a human, and you want to experience the blessings of being used by God in the world and among the nations, then trust me, walk with me, depend and cling upon me and my provisions for you. One of these, uh, in, the, in the old covenant, this, this provision would have been experienced in, in some of these material ways with the dew coming down, that would enable them to sustain and live in this part of the world. Why? So that as the, the crossroads of the nations, as people are traveling through, they're going to take notice of the people of God, who is there experiencing the blessing and the provision, enabling them to live out their mission. The same is true for us. We want to see God's provision and his blessing in our lives and in our church. Why? Just so we can use it for ourselves? No. Remember what God promised Abraham in calling him. I'm going to bless you, Abraham. Why? So that you may be a blessing. All the blessing and privileges and provisions that God gives for his people, whether you want to call them spiritual gifts, whether you want to uh, call them uh, uh, material blessings, whether you want, however you want to talk about it, Everything that God gives you that comes down from him is for the purpose of you glorifying him and blessing those around him through the provision that comes to us through Jesus. As a church, this should be our longing and our desire that we would live a life unified in the scriptures, seeking to follow our God in, in holiness and trust and dependence so that he would provide for us in a way that we can demonstrate and show his glory, that we will be sustained here as a church to continue witnessing for Christ and being evident to this neighborhood, this city, this county, the world. Think about how the Lord is already providing for us. We're meeting in a building that we have no debt for. We're able to sponsor and support missionaries in the Ukraine. We're able to, to help facilitate church planting in our presbytery and around the world through the provision that God continues to give us. We're seeing lives impacted, lives changed, people coming to Christ, people walking with him in faithfulness and trust. That's what we long for. Do you, do you realize that, that this isn't just true for us as a church? But it starts at the individual level that as each of us seek to live pursuing and walking with our God in faithfulness and trust, that that impacts and affects the way that we as a church function. Think back to what happened in, uh, in the book of Joshua. 
God had just defeated Jericho on behalf of his people, and he told them, everything that you get from, uh, from this battle is to go to me. You're not to keep any of it yourself. Everybody did that, except for one guy, Achan. Achan decided to take some, uh, some clothes and some, uh, some uh, monetary stuff for himself and hid it under his tent. And guess what happened because of his sin? The entire people suffered. Do you realize when you think about straying and walking in a way that's contrary to what God intended, that you're not just hurting yourself? You may say, well, as long as I'm not hurting anybody else, why does it matter? Why do you care? Why do, you, why do we care? Because Jesus shed his blood for you. Jesus redeemed and saved you for a life of holiness and godliness. Jesus saved and redeemed you to be a part of our church and that together we're pursuing his glory for the sake of the nations. And your sin, unrepented, can affect all of us. And it can begin to bring unfruitfulness to our church. Do we want to take those chances? Or is our focus, is our longing on the glory of Jesus, recognizing the privilege we have to be his people that he's using for the sake of the world? Do you know where the message of salvation is located? Look at what he says, the last verse. For there, where? Among the people of God. That's where God has commanded blessing and life forevermore. How are the nations going to know where eternal life, renewed, restored fellowship with God can be found? It's among us. We aren't pursuing holiness because we're trying to merit God's favor. Jesus has secured all of that. We're striving for holiness and godliness and unity among what, how God has revealed himself in the scriptures because he saved us. And because we want everybody else to know about this God who's redeemed and saved us by his grace and through his love. That's the hope. That's a privilege. That's what we've been called to. May we dwell in unity so that the nations will be blessed, so that we will be blessed and provided for, so that we can continue to be a blessing for the glory and honor of Jesus. Let's pray. Christ, we thank you uh, for your work for us. We thank you for your gracious redemption and saving of your people. Uh, we pray that you would continue to, to show us our, our need for you uh, and how you provide and sustain us. Uh, bless us that we might be a blessing. Bless us that uh, the nations may know. Turn our hearts to you and only you. Uh, for your glory, we pray. It's in Christ's name. Amen.